Welcome to the Artisan Situation Podcast. Hi, my name is Zach Kaiser. I've always been interested in food and where it comes from. Food producers are craftsmen and artists, playing roles in our daily routines and celebrations in our lives. Food often interacts and plays a role in our community, culture, environment, and our local economies. When our community is divided, food often provides an opportunity to bring people together. With this Artisan Situation podcast and the website, I hope to take us on a journey to find food producers who nurture their community and their environment while making flavorful and delicious food and beverage. More importantly, we will look at the culture and the influences that shape these people and the food industry as a whole. Our journey begins with Adam Dellinger, the owner and operator of Sunny Bray Hops, a hop farm located in Carlisle, Pennsylvania. His heart and soul has always been a part of the local farming community. With the rise of craft breweries, Adam saw an opportunity to provide local ingredients and now grows hops for the likes of Trogues Brewing, Freewell Brewing, Tired Hands, and Molly Pitcher Brewing. This contribution to the PA brewing scene has changed the way brewers think about ingredient sourcing and even change the way I think about the concept of local beer. On his five-acre farm, in between his cats, I turned on the mics and began recording. This is Adam Dellinger of Sunny Bray Hops. I guess we'll get started. All right. Um, you want to just introduce yourself, um, just kind of the name of you know what you're doing. Um, yeah, so, so we can get that going. Okay. Sure. Uh, my name is Adam Dollinger, and I own and operate Sunnybury Hops. It's a hop farm in Carlisle, PA. And uh, I guess there's there's a couple questions. I mean, were you ever interested in just starting a farm and growing up, or did this kind of just come out of nowhere? Um, you know, were you interested in beer first, or was it kind of farming first? What, what kind of got your attention? It was definitely farming first, mm-hmm. um, and that's what that's exactly what this is. This is definitely farming um, in all aspects of it. But I mean, I, I grew up around agriculture. I worked on dairy farms growing up. My father worked for farm equipment companies. Um, you know, I have my college degrees are in soil science. So it's definitely been in my blood ever since um, I was young. And basically, we just tried to find the best way to start a farm. And we explored all the options, animals, plants, you know, herbs, uh, whatever we could think of. And hops just met all the criteria, you know, for us. Yeah, and did it seem like there was a market and a demand for it out here in Pennsylvania? Um, I mean, we know Trogues is down the street. You've got so many breweries in Philly. You've got a long history of breweries in Pennsylvania. Was that sure. something you noticed at first that you were like, oh, there's a market for this, it's untapped? Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, we wouldn't have we wouldn't have done it uh, if we didn't feel that there was a strong demand for it. Um, we we actually took a class through Penn State Extension called Exploring the Small Farm Dream, and that helped us start with our business planning and start with market analysis and really understanding the business side of it. Because if even if you think it's a cool crop and you want to grow it, if no one wants to buy it or can pay you what you need to be paid to make it a business then it doesn't do any good. Mm-hmm. So we took a long, careful, methodical process uh, to figure it all out uh, before we started it. And that the research did show that there was interest in local hops, uh, especially with the explosion in local craft beer. 
and all the breweries, the small breweries popping up in neighborhoods and small towns now. Um, it just really um, creates a great link between the farm to the brewery to the consumer, tells a great story. And um, so we felt it was a it was a good fit for for us for what we wanted to do and for where the marketplace is right now. Mm -hmm. And um, I know you've just finished harvest. I missed out on taking all the photos of all the hops. Um, and it seemed like it came pretty early this year. Um, is that something that surprised you this year? Kind of was it early, or would you say that this is around the time that you've been you're used to this kind of? Yeah. So it it is it definitely was early. We started in late July. I think it was July twenty sixth, and that is that is very early in the world of hop growing. But what we don't yet know is how early is it for Pennsylvania hops? Um, we have different climate here we have different climates in pennsylvania you could be in the Ridge valley where we are here you could be on the allegheny plateau and you'll have a different climate and all of that's different than the pacific northwest where sort of everything has been established as a baseline of what to expect um, uh, last year we started harvesting pretty much about the same time the centennial which is uh, we don't actually have that anymore but that is the one of the first hops to to be to mature and be harvested so I'm not sure if it's early for Pennsylvania. Um, maybe we're doing some things wrong and we don't yet know it, but we are trying to trying to learn. We're keeping rec good records, you know, um, trying to experiment with different dates that you can actually like train the plants onto this twine that climb, you know, up, up the trellis system. There's all sorts of different things you can you can experiment with to try to figure out what's what's right. So that's a long, long way to say, yes, it's early, but maybe it's not. <laughs> maybe it's just the Pennsylvania way. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> you know, and so it's, it, you talk to folks from all over the country about growing hops and no one really can tell you how to grow hops. So that's, that's why in, in your specific region. So that's why we just have to keep records and keep experimenting and trying to figure it out. Was that something that interested you? The fact that there's not a lot known about hops, that it's kind of, I mean, it's still kind of a burgeoning, mm -hmm. you know, marketplace. There's still, you know, it's coming back in terms of farming hops anywhere else than you yeah. know, Oregon or the Wilmette Valley. Yeah. Is that kind of something that interested you as well? It was. Um, during during that class and other things we went through to just try to figure out what would be a good fit for us and for me in particular as the primary farmer. Um, that was one of my my particular skill sets was doing doing research and experimenting and just like figuring it, figuring it out. And that is a unique... That's a challenge that I was that helps motivate me um, to just to just to figure it out. So that was one of the, one of the big appeals to hops growing, actually. That's, yeah, and I mean, it seems like you know the early harvest. Pennsylvania was always first to do everything. It seems like maybe it's going to be the first to start harvesting <laughs> yeah, hops, maybe. right? But I mean, I think I think that it would be slightly beneficial if we could figure out how to extend it mm -hmm. a little bit, but. Uh, the harvest date a little bit, make it push it back a little bit. But there are some advantages too to having it this early. Um, like right now, we can continue growing the plants even after they've been cut down, and they'll continue to grow. And 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 then that way, when they die back in the fall, there'll be more plant energy that can go back down into the root structure and and help it survive through the winter. Mm -hmm. So I don't I don't really know yet <laughs> what's what's best, but we're we'll figure it out eventually. Yeah. And um, you were just mentioning how, you know, it's kind of crazy with all the, you know, all the different breweries now that you're selling your hops to, all the different collaborations. I mean, 
it's probably both exciting but overwhelming at the same time, right? That you've got now all these breweries that are, it seems like there's a so much demand and not quite enough local hop supply yet. I mean, that's got to be exciting, but at the same time, it's almost overwhelming with all of the, the interest in the market, right? Um, yes, yes, a little bit overwhelming, but mostly mostly pretty cool and exciting um, just because it's it's a lot to do with the people. Um, we've we've worked with a number of breweries and and everyone that comes down to the farm has pitched in to volunteer. I mean, you even came down and, and helped us put anchors in the ground, even though, you know, you weren't buying hops from us or anything. So we got to meet a lot of really cool people. And that just really helps helps motivate you to keep going. Um, <clears throat> so the more people like that you get to work with and meet, I mean, the more fun it is. And, and it's great to see um, everyone's interpretation on how to do a beer with local hops. You know, right now we're in the wet hop beer season, so there's different hop combinations you can use. There's different yeasts you can use, you know, all these different spins people are putting on it. So, I mean, it's, it is, it is a little bit overwhelming to stay on top of, but it's, it's so worth it. And it's, it's a really fun time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I noticed that, uh, you know, when Trogues came out here or whatever, they came with a boatload of people, right? I mean, mm -hmm. that's gotta be an exciting, an exciting day to see, right? It was. Yes. Yes. Trogues has been, I can't say uh, enough good things about Trogues. I mean, all of the breweries that we work with are, have been fantastic, but um, from the very beginning, Trogues has been a supporter of what we're trying to do and has brought out staff and helped us plant, you know, thousands of plants out in the yard. They've helped us prune back in the spring. They've helped us slowly and agonizingly, like, handpick hops one cone at a time, put it in a bucket. I mean, but it's great because they get to learn about hops production, and I get to learn about Brewing, you know, like brewer, brewers' operations and, and how they use the hops, and it's just a great way to share information and build a community, mm -hmm. and and again tell a story. and And they're they're very good about sharing, you know, their experiences working with local farms, not just us, but you know, other uh, other uh, orchards or the local mall house, you know. And, mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, <clears throat> having their having the the Trogues involvement in particular as we got going was extremely helpful. Um, but I think it was beneficial for everyone. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I mean, there's, yeah, I mean, there's gotta be, there's so many different things to understand about hops besides the, even the growing side, you know, there's all the oils, you know, there's, there's these certain aspects that you're trying to hit, um, right. When you're growing a hop, you want a certain amount of oils, correct. So, mm -hmm. um, I'm sure learning from them, that's, that's gotta be helpful, right. And being able yeah. to bounce off of a bunch of different right. you know, people that have right. those opinions. So, yeah, it's, it's really cool that we are able to work with, with Trogues, but also, folks that have homemade small systems that are, you know, that were home brewers and are just sort of forging their own path because they have different ideas just because out of necessity. Um, so just to learn how they do things, you know, and compare and contrast that to how the bigger breweries do things, you know, it's been, it's been great. But uh, yeah, the resources of the bigger breweries have, they, you know, they have labs and, and people that have been out to hop selection in the Pacific Northwest and have, have knowledge uh, from from those experiences, so it all just comes together and and helps support this this industry here. And so, and last year, uh, I might not, I'm not sure about this, but did you handpick everything last year? Or is this the first year you've had like a hops harvester? Yeah, we we handpicked everything last year, and it takes the good rule of thumb is it takes about one man hour per bind to handpick, and we have roughly 3,700 binds. So, you know, you mentioned drugs coming out and they, they brought, I want to say maybe 40 people 
Mm-hmm. And then there was, I, we had, I don't know, friends and family here as well at another probably six. And it took us the better part of a day to harvest like 100 pounds of hops. So <laughs> now, and it's, so it's just impossible to do that because we were able to get away with that our first year because the plants were so small. They're first year plants. They don't always hit the top wire. They're not very full. Uh, it's just the nature of, of the plants as they're getting established. Now this year, um, they pretty much all hit the top wire. They were getting more full with longer side arms. It would just be impossible to do it without mechanical means. Um, so now we can get, we can pick a hundred pounds. It's like if we get everything laid out and, and running, we can, we can pick a hundred pounds in an hour with two people. That's, I mean, it's just a completely different business model. Like it just completely changes yep. the way you're looking at it, yep. you know, from one side to the other. Um, so, I mean, I guess that is one barrier to entry though, right? Like the hops harvester is a big expense for a, for a small farm like, like yourself. Absolutely. Right? Um, I remember the Kickstarter campaign that you were working on for a while, trying to get that, um, you know, trying to get this hops harvester, um, must've been crazy to finally get that, that piece of equipment in your hands and say, yes, I can finally kind of expand upon what I'm doing and do everything a lot more efficiently. Um, how was, was it hard to get the hops harvester? Was it, you know, was it, did you realize that, you know, there's going to be an opportunity to lend this to other farmers and that could be a really big benefit for other farmers? Um, What kind of, how'd you get this hops harvester and kind of (laughs) describe more about it? Cause it seems so, so fascinating that there's kind of these mobile, smaller units now that people can get. Sure. Um, we mentioned the Kickstarter we, and we did attempt the Kickstarter and we got, we got a lot of great support from breweries that we work with and the community. And there was a lot of great donations, but it didn't reach the goal. So we had to go back to the drawing board, you know, and, and basically we just sold, sold some things around here, tried to raise some money on our own and, and, and got it, got it here. Because like I said before, we, we just couldn't, couldn't do this without it. Um, <clears throat> this particular model I have is, is from a, a relatively young company out of New York and they're called Hops Harvester LLC. Mm-hmm. And they produce this machine called the Hopster 5P. Uh, the P stands for PTO power. Five stands for about five acres is what the machine they think can handle. And it's just in response to, particularly in New York, the explosion in small farms uh, that are growing hops. There's uh, I don't even, I can't even tell you how many there are now. It's New York was a very, very historical, big hop growing region. Um, so now it's sort of climbing its way back into that notoriety, uh, at least with the smaller scale growers. So there's, um, in response to that demand, these, uh, these folks have designed this machine and the concept was you can hook it up to a tractor, you can tow it around the field if you want. It'll go on a 16 foot car trailer and you can haul it around because what they do out in the Pacific Northwest is they have huge buildings with massive machines that are obviously like in, they're in place and dedicated to their farm. And they do a wonderful job, but our, our models, our model here in the East Coast and Midwest small hop farms do not, uh, do not sync up with that. We're very small, fragmented, one, two, maybe five acre farms scattered all over the place. So they're, the equipment they have out there is, is way too big and unaffordable for us. Um, one very common option that smaller growers have had at a community like co-op scale or you know maybe a five to 10 acre hop yard scale is getting an old uh, German machine called a Wolf. There's various models of a Wolf, but um, you can find a lot of these in, in Poland and uh, Germany and other places in Europe that you can, you can buy them refurbished or buy them as is, bring them over in shipping containers, reassemble them, retrofit them for U.S. 
you know, electricity and new controls and all these things. But, you know, by the time you're looking at something like that, I mean, you're probably going to be 50, 60, 65 grand, probably just for the, the harvester itself. And that doesn't include, you know, if you want in a building, you know, if you need three phase power, all those things. So that really adds up. And again, is, is, is a great, they're great machines, but parts availability can be an issue. Um, so <clears throat> back to this machine, you know, the, it was designed basically to be able to be shared and moved among small farms. Pretty much any part that's on it, I can go to Granger or Tractor Supply mm -hmm. and get what I need and fix it. Yeah. Um, so parts availability and downtime due to that is, is not really going to be an issue. Um, so it's, it's really just in response to, to the way that farms are starting to grow hops. Mm -hmm. And it's just a completely different type of machine. Not perfect by any stretch, but a whole heck of a lot better than handpicking. <laughs> and it, it, does a, it does a nice job. Mm -hmm. I mean, there, there are things that the company will improve upon, just like any other machine out there. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm very happy to have made that decision to get it. And like I mentioned to you a little bit earlier, you know, we did, we have worked with three other very uh, small farms in, in the area that brought down uh, some vines for us just to pick here mm -hmm. in place. And then we're, we're actually going to move it to another hop yard here next week and, and pick their yard for them. So it's, it's nice. I mean, I mentioned, I mean, we mentioned this in the Kickstarter campaign too, just about how, how much a machine like this would support the PA mm -hmm. uh, hops growing industry, because it is expensive to, to buy for someone like us, but mm -hmm. it's necessary and it's it's a, able to be shared amongst all of us. Not all of us, but yeah. a few a few farms. Yeah, and it seems like it builds another community again. So yeah. it's another, another group of people you can interact with and learn from um, and kind of build this PA hop community. And that is and that is exactly what has started to happen, truthfully. Um, you know, we've some of the folks that we work with for this custom harvesting job, you know, we started to talk, hey, let's... Let's meet this fall and discuss how to pool all of our resources because we're all we're all going to have the same struggles. Mm -hmm. uh, so if we can say you know these five farms can work with this harvester over here, this guy might get a pelletizer. So you know just like get the open, get the lines of communication open, yeah, and just start talking about it. And that's what's kind of crazy to me is, you know, I, I, you read a little bit more about hops and then you realize there's oh you have to do this process and then you have to do this process and then there's the drying and the pelletizing. Right. It's it's you know. Some people forget about some of these things. They just think that, you know, you, you pull it off the vine and it's ready to go, but there's drying and there's, you know, right. pelletizing and all these types of things that are another additional cost um, for these yeah. small farmers that really want to just kind of do something innovative. Mm -hmm. um, when you were thinking about what hops you wanted to grow, was it more about um, kind of what you could do with your space or were you thinking along the lines of what, who, what people were interested in? Um, because I know you do Nugget, you do um, was Cascade or mm -hmm. Centennial. We don't, yeah. So we, we when we started our yard, our we started out with a quarter acre yard as mm -hmm. like a test yard. That was Cascade and Centennial. Um, we took the Centennial out this year because it wasn't performing well enough here, mm -hmm. and we need we we're small, so we need every square foot yeah. of production we can possibly get. Um, <clears throat> so we took the the Centennial out, but we do have Cascade, Chinook, Nugget, and Comet. And then a little bit of cluster. Mm -hmm. um, we chose those basic. Uh, it was it was a long, hard process to pick what do you want to grow because once it's in, it's in. Like you, yeah, you yeah. don't want to go through all this work to establish it, and only to rip it out again. Yeah. Um, and and there's a lot of very, very uh, hot 
uh, hops like Citra or Galaxy or Amarillo or those, there's a, a whole host of hops out there that are proprietary mm-hmm. that breeders have worked for years and years to try to, to nail down and they patented it and uh, brewers are will, will often ask me can I grow Citra and I'll have to say no <laughs> um, <clears throat> so that's the first thing you look at is what's proprietary what's open source um, anything that's open is either developed by university or the USDA. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a lot of the really popular sea hops that have been around for, for decades but are still killer hops. Yeah, like the Columbus, the Chinook. Yeah, like, yeah. Cascade. Even Cascade, I mean, it's, yeah. it's, Cascade is not going anywhere. It's just, it's a great hop. Mm-hmm. Um, brewers do still love it. Um, so, you know, that's the first thing. Is it proprietary? Is it open? And then, you know, I found that when I tried to talk to brewers about what they thought I should grow, they didn't want to tell me. They didn't want to be responsible for me picking a variety that didn't work or didn't sell or whatever, which I understand. So we just try to try to think about, you know, what were popular hops, uh, what will pretty much always be in demand, um, but also agronomically speaking, what will grow well, mm-hmm. what has the right growth habit uh, to, to match here. Um, you know, disease resistance, that's a big, big thing. So there's a whole host of factors that went into it. It was months long, mm-hmm. um, but we just, we settled on ones that some people might think are a little ho-hum, but are still really great hops that people do really good things with mm-hmm. and, and they're in demand. So yeah, that Comet pale ale that you had me try when I was here last time. I mean, that was a hop that I was like, wow. I could almost think that it, you know, like I would never thought that, that like that could be that flavor profile can come out of Pennsylvania. You know, it's almost like yeah. I was feeling like it came from the Northwest, but it's totally like a. It's it's so cool to see kind of also the difference that you that you right. presented to me um, right. those two different pale ales and kind of seeing that comparison, you can definitely see that there's definitely a terroir thing that's happening, mm-hmm. um, and the the potential for that is really cool. I mean, it opens up whole other markets. Um, you know, for for you guys to say, hey, we're a PA right. hop. You know, we're different. It's gonna have a little bit different flavor, and that's like something exciting. I think for a brewer who's always looking for new flavors to play yeah. with and things to develop. So it's it's really cool. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, our Cascade is Cascade, but it's PA grown Cascade, mm-hmm. and it's PA grown in Cumberland County. You know, with... well, kind of do it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so um, yeah, so it's it's always gonna be different, and a, my Cascade is gonna be different from someone someone else's Cascade two hours away exactly for the reasons you said so um i think that that also tells a story and adds value to the fact that you know these are local hops that have something something different mm-hmm. so what made you choose kind of carlisle what made you choose this area i know that obviously you're not the only one operating this farm you have a wife that also contributes to what you're working on here um and you know most farms are a family operation uh, mm-hmm. you know you can't do it by yourself um what kind of made you guys think of this area to settle in? Um, you know, tell us more about you guys. Like what's, you know, she's also uh, into agriculture as well, right? On a different, on a different side of things as well, right? Correct. Yeah. She works for the U S department of ag, uh, working with uh, local farmers and landowners on conservation. Mm-hmm. So, you know, uh, soil erosion issues, manure management issues, you know, just protecting the soil and water and the, in the environment. And uh, I also work for that agency as well. Um, so my, my career has, has been around agriculture and, and conservation as well. Um, as, far as, as far as Carlisle, um, we just, there was an opening 
and uh, for my wife that she was interested in to apply to, and we, she applied to it and got it. So then we moved to Carlisle. Um, <clears throat> I mean, I, I had gone to, my undergrad is at uh, Shippensburg. So I, I lived in this area before, and I knew that this area had a lot to offer and be a good match for us. You know, very close to big cities, but not it's not that busy around here still. Mm -hmm. Lots of forests, lots of state parks, and so forth. So this is this is definitely one of my favorite places in PA to to be anyway. So it worked out, and um, so we we were here um, just homesteading, uh, raising meat birds, layers, turkeys, uh, big big garden, uh, lots of canning, um, you know all these all these type of things. And, until we got to the point where we wanted to start a commercial farm. Mm -hmm. um, so we were we were here and doing things uh, before we even dreamed about starting a hop farm. And I guess, did you, were you always from Pennsylvania or is this kind of a transplant, you know, for yourself or? Um... More or less, we're from Pennsylvania. My wife is definitely from Pennsylvania. I've been, I've lived sort of all over growing up. I don't really have like a home state in particular. Yeah. But I've spent most of my life, I've spent more of my life in Pennsylvania than anywhere else, so I guess it's my so home. So I guess you're, I guess you're PA, <laughs> yeah. PA grown. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's, that's really cool. Um, yeah, because it's just fascinating to kind of, you know, it seems like there's a, a great agrarian community um, in central Pennsylvania. I mean, mm -hmm. um, I've only been here for about five years, been in this area, you know, for five years, and I've just seen it kind of, you know, there's a great community of support. Um, also, you know, like... Just like you know, help here and there. Um, there's there's a nice seems like there's a nice university connection as well to a lot of agriculture in this area. So it seems like um, it seems like a great community to start a farm. It is. There's um, <clears throat> there's a lot of support here from from industry. So if I would need fertilizer or chemicals or something like that, I don't have to drive very far. If we need some sort of specialty equipment, there's some place in Lancaster that has it. You know, there's the the, the agriculture in Lancaster County is so incredibly diverse. Uh, particularly with the plain sect farmers, that um, if I need something weird, anything, some weird spreader or some weird thing, that I can I can always get it. So it's it is very convenient because we've lived in more remote places where I can only imagine how much more work it would be to get whatever you need to farm. And then you know we're surrounded by by dairy farms, uh, so you know I'm working with a guy down the road to see if I can get some of his manure so he can start composting that, and he'll just bring it over in his tractor. So, you know, those connections definitely are helpful. Yeah. No, that's, I mean, it just, it seems like a, it just seems like a really supportive community. And um, now that like, you know, then you, you layer that in with all the breweries and that, that camaraderie as well. It just seems like a great place to start a hot farm. It seems like it just lined up, you know, it seemed like it lined up perfectly for you. Um, it's really cool. Um, okay. So the thing I found the coolest when I came here was the truck. <laughs> what is the name of the truck, you know, that you, that you use almost everything with? It seems like that truck story is an awesome one. Um, uh, well, <laughs> the, uh, you're, you're talking about the S10, right? Yeah. So the S10, the name of the S10 is Blanche the Farm Truck. And I asked for, far, I asked for name suggestions from all my friends. And I have this one friend from grad school that she is a huge Golden Girls fan. So she has like a chicken named Blanche, I think. No, actually, she has got three chickens, and they're all named after the Golden Girls. And uh, I don't know, there's something so like off the wall about Blanche, naming this like ratty old S10 Blanche that I just had to do it. Um, but yeah, I just, you know, in, in PA, as you know, you have to get your cars inspected. 
Uh, so I talked to my safety inspection guy and just said, Hey, you know, I'm looking for this Ranger or S10 four wheel drive automatic transmission. I want to, I want a side-by-side -side ATV to do farm work, but there's no way I can afford a $10,000 ATV. Mm -hmm. So I just said, you know, if something fails going to the scrapyard, let me know. And a week later he calls me, there's this, I think it's a 91 S10 rust everywhere. Uh, cab mounts are, are failed. They're all rusted. That's why the truck failed inspection, 277,000 miles on it. It smokes a lot. Um, but I got it for you. See this thing in action. <laughs> oh, oh, we'll go for a ride after this. All right. Sounds good. Um, but yeah, it was 150 bucks or whatever. I came home, ripped the door off, ripped the tailgate off. And now it's my like, you know, poor man side by side ATV, but I pull a trailer with it, you know, uh, put sprayer in the back of it, you know, do, and it fits down my rows. So. It's just one of those things you got to do to make it work. Yeah. You know, that's the, you know, that's the things that you got to figure out and just go with. Right. I mean, that's something that I feel like that's a, that's like an innate like farmer thought almost like, you know, like, like I feel like a lot of the people that I know who become farmers have like, you know, are like, I have that idea in my head. I can figure that out. Mm -hmm. um, that truck. Yeah, we're always changing up equipment, changing ideas on how to get up to the top of the trellis and do work, how to string, uh, how to do trellis maintenance. There's always, I'm on the third or fourth iteration of, of a ladder for this, you know, this year, because um, there's always improvements to be made. You just try to do it as cheaply as possible while not being too incredibly dangerous, but there's no promises about that. Yeah. That's really cool. That truck. <laughs> So is there any, what was, uh, you know, do you want to talk about any of the collaborations that you recently did? I know um, you, you sold some lots of Tired Hands. Um, I mean, you're always buddies with Molly Pitcher down the, down the road here. Um, you know, Trugs always comes out, it seems like. Um, but Free Will's also a new, a new person in this. Um, is there any kind of like, you recently went to one of these things where you checked out the beer. Have you, um, could you just describe one of these collaborations? What you're, you know, what was exciting about it with beer, what it tastes like, what, you know. How you felt like the hops turned out in the beer? I mean, yeah, yeah. We we've worked with uh, I believe seven seven or so breweries this year, and some of them did multiple batches. Um, I I think I sort of alluded to it earlier, but probably the, the neatest thing about going to any of these is just the own brewer's interpretation. Um, so like so last night, let's take last night as an example. I went to the Millworks, which is a restaurant in in Harrisburg that just opened up a brewery. So it's very cool to be able to work with with a brewer. Now this this brewer Jeff Musselman has a lot of experience. He was a former Trogues brewer, Weyerbacher, and uh, Jack's Hard Cider, and he's he's going to do a really good job. Um, but it's really neat to go and, and see some place that's just started from scratch, and one of the first beers they brew are with your hops in it. That's crazy, right? Yeah, and he used Deer Creek malt, so so Pennsylvania malted barley. I think it was barley and. Um, and our on our wet hops, and it's it was in that flight of beers that we got to try, you know, and um, it was just incredible because he used um, in his case he used a, a saison yeast that gave a little more funk than you would normally get out of an IPA or pale ale, which is the typical style mm -hmm. you'd do with a fresh hop beer, um, but still like the 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 smoothness and sort of uh, vegetal kind of greenness that comes in with a fresh hop beer was still there along with the nice finish of, uh, of your cascade, you know, citrus grapefruit. Um, and then down the road, you know, we went to, um, uh, and Elizabethtown, Lancaster County, uh, we've worked with them for two years now 
and uh, he did two batches with us this year. He got uh, all nugget and then did an all Chinook batch. So we got to try the, the all nugget. And it was completely different than uh, Molly Pitcher's all nugget. Um, the, the yeast that they used was different. The, the character of it, the color was different, you know. So it's the same hop, picked the same day, delivered, you know, to, to the breweries the exact same time frame, but just what they can do with it in their own systems. Um, just to really go around and see, see how, how much the brewer's uh, art takes over when interpreting these ingredients yeah. is, is just amazing to me. And have you had any homebrew experience? I mean, I, you probably homebrewed a, a lot um, before you did this, I imagine. Um, but you don't really have any other brewing background besides homebrewing, correct? Is that correct? Yeah, I, I started homebrewing in in two thousand nine. Cool, but it's got to be so cool to be able to see, you know, like you grew this and to see all these different artistic, you know, ways of doing, you know, using those those same ingredients is crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, is there? Which one of the year, which one of the varieties grows do you think the best for you right now? Which one do you think has been like you know a standout for you? Um, you know, is your nugget, your cascade, been treating you nicer, or <laughs> do you have favorites? Or oh, it's yeah, like we're all different. It's like asking know, me to chick or pick between my children, um, which I don't have any. You don't so have to, you know, feel feel <laughs> like you have to pick a favorite, right? Um, so it's interesting because. At this this year, most of my hops were still second year plants, mm-hmm. so they're not even fully mature yet. Yeah. So how they grew last year has been completely different than how they grew this year. I'm expecting how they grew this year will more mirror their final uh, growth patterns, but still, who knows? They could have longer side arms that are loaded with cones or a pain to work with. I mean, I I just don't know yet. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as this year goes, I would say probably Cascade was my most consistent grower. Um, we had some, you know, with farming, there's weather, in, in, weather impacts everything that you do. And our Cascade cones um, ended up being a little smaller than last year. And what we think it was, it was due to um, very intense heat during a critical growth phase of the mm-hmm. flowers. Uh, and some other farms we talked to in the other in the area also experienced that as well, but but not all. So it's just a you know impact of the microclimate. Where so the hops themselves were, were great, had good brewing quality. They just they just were a little smaller this year. Yeah. But the plant itself probably grew the most consistent and healthy uh, of with the Cascade more so than the others. But Nugget was close behind. Mm-hmm. Nugget did well. Yeah. And, uh... How long does it usually take for these plants to mature? Is it kind of next year you're hoping to get start getting closer to that matured age, or um, is it something that sometimes can take five years? Um, does it depend on the kind yeah. of the way it's been developing? The industry rule of thumb is is year three it'll be fully mature. I mean, out out west and the Yakima Valley and so forth, when there's where there's a lot of generational knowledge, you know, fifth, fourth generation growers, great soil, everything's figured out. They generally can get pretty darn close to a full yield on their first year plants but they have a longer growing season and a lot more knowledge than than we do um we we're nowhere near that basically when when you start a hop yard your first your first year you just consider yourself lucky if you get anything you really want the the hops to get established more so than produce a bumper crop um so yeah i'm thinking next year we should we should be looking at a full maturity and production and do you ever see yourself, you know, developing a Sunny Bray hop um, ever? Or uh, is that something that you're kind of more interested in just kind of seeing where it goes and trying out new things? Um, is there any hops that you're interested in trying out next year that 
if you've already been starting to think about it or not, not really yet. There are some that I've been thinking about, but it's so early in that process that I, I have, I couldn't even begin to tell you which ones will settle on. Um, but as far as developing my own hop, I mean, it's always something that probably any serious hop grower thinks about. Mm -hmm. But when you, when you realize what goes into developing a, a really good hop, it takes years and years and years and lots of iterations of plants that you call and, and propagate further. And I mean, there are people that, that do a really good job doing this, but it takes a lot of money and a lot of time. Mm -hmm. And where we're at in, as an industry in Pennsylvania, I, I, I keep telling myself that I need to just learn how to grow really great hops. Yeah. So it's always something in the back of my mind I'm thinking about, but um, for now we just, we just need to get this growing, growing and harvesting and processing all those things down figured out before I think I branch out and distract myself too much. much. Yeah, with other other projects. Yeah. Do you um so how many acres is it right now? The the footprint of the trellis system is two acres. And where do you see yourself growing to? I mean, do you even want to put a cap on it or are you you're you're kind of free to kinda of grow as much as you want or do you see, you know, a certain point at which you have a thousand acres? That's nothing that you're probably interested in, or is it, you know, what is what's kind of your seeing yourself? I think I think it, I think the craft beer industry is has seen amazing intensive growth over the last couple several years and it's projected to to continue with that. Um, I'm not sure what's going to happen at what point you know things might start to level off and what that means for local hops. Um, so that's just sort of a sidebar thought. You know, I, putting a thousand acres sounds awesome, but. I'm not sure where it'll be at when we actually get to the point where we could do that. Where will the craft beer industry be? Mm -hmm. I'm not sure. Um, the biggest issue with, well, there's a lot of issues, but probably the biggest issue is labor. So my wife has a full-time job. This is my full-time job, but I'm only one person. And I, I feel like once you get probably to the five acre line, you need to start hiring people. Even even at this scale, we've learned enough that to know that we we're going to have to hire a crew to come in and do springtime activities, like hanging the twine and training the plants onto the twine. Mm -hmm. Because my wife and myself, plus whatever volunteers we could get together, uh, simply just weren't enough to get it done uh, in the time that it needed to be done. Mm -hmm. So labor is probably the biggest issue, and then you go into becoming a supervisor and having employees. And all these types all of things. Sort of things. Yeah. <laughs> add, add a whole other, you know, bandwidth of things that you have to deal with. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, it seems like a, a cycle, you know, there's always this expansion cycle of like, you know, you got to keep up then right. with that expansion. Um, but, but, you know, we're, we're experiencing that too now because we, we, we had to buy a harvester. And now next year I'm going to have to upgrade all my drying equipment and upgrade my, my packaging equipment. And just, it probably will never stop. <laughs> but... Um, but yeah, I sort of see myself uh, pretty easily at the five five acre mark within short order, but you know beyond that, it will. I think we need to see how see how things go a little bit. Yeah. Um, so my my next my next question is so you know there's this whole craze of the you know the northeast IPA you know the cloudy IPA mm -hmm. the dry hopped you know fruity IPA versus the west coast kind of you know bitter. Um, you know, not quite as cloudy IPA. Um, do you think there'll ever be like a Pennsylvania, you know, Pennsylvania beer? Or is there like a, you know, are we going to start developing different flavor profiles that sum up an area? Um, do you think like Pennsylvania will develop that? 
or do you think this will always be a you know a lager you know yingling lager type place i was just going to say the beer that probably defines pennsylvania is a lager mm -hmm. uh, more so than an ipa I think a, a lot of the, the farmhouse saison type stuff that some of the really creative breweries out there are doing might find might find a place to settle on. Mm -hmm. uh, we were talking about Tired Hands, who bought some hops from us this year. You know, they obviously they do a lot of experimentation, a lot of off the wall stuff that really pushes boundaries. Um, and it's through that kind of experimentation we'll probably find that. But it's hard for me to predict what that would look like. Yeah, would that be something that would excite you? Because it would it would. Um, you think that would enhance the beer marketplace, kind of having all these different, almost like, you know, different regions, almost like how wine has their different regions of flavor components. Or do you think that, you think the beer is always just going to be all over the place? Uh, people love to experiment. I mean, it's just kind of interesting right. to think about it. I think there's, I mean, there's definitely going to be the, the victories and the trogues that have wide distribution and things like that. But then there's also probably, hopefully, always going to be the mom and pop shops that are, in neighborhoods, small, have a lot of experimentation that um, will continue to drive that. And if we can if we can find a way, in particular, using Pennsylvania-grown ingredients, because that would be cool, mm -hmm. uh, to, to sort of define um, a beer and a flavor profile that matches us, of course, that would be, that would be very exciting because it would create more opportunity for folks besides myself to, to expand this form of agriculture. It's, it's interesting because... All the hop farmers, not all, there's a lot of hop farmers that are just getting into this that are not um, farmers otherwise. You know, they, yeah. they've, they've come in from another area, another, another career path, or they're, they're teaming up with four other people and they're doing it in the evening. So what I really do think is, is cool is that it's bringing more people into farming. And more, the more people that are into farming and the more people that appreciate the work that goes into farming, I think the better off we'll all be uh, to un just understand what it means to get just food to your table. I mean, just forget about hops. Just farming, um, you know, is a lot of work. And just to get those tomatoes or whatever it is that you enjoy from your farmer's market, I mean, just that, that shared um, knowledge and increased appreciation for agriculture I think will be good. Yeah, so you think that that farm culture is really important to society as a whole in sure. terms of making sure that that's involved into our thinking and our yes. thought process on things. Yeah. Um, do you think that that's, you know, I mean, there's there's definitely some fight back of like, you know, is farm to table the right way to, to describe what that movement is? But I think that's what you're kind of describing here is this kind of farm culture coming to the forefront. People who never thought that they were going to farm are now becoming farmers and getting themselves ingrained into this culture of, um, kind of always thinking about almost nature as well as, you know, like where their food comes from, um, who they're selling to, why they're deciding to do certain things. Yeah. Yeah, it's really interesting to see that develop over time. I mean, I, a little bit of personal philosophy, I always, I always think that people need to know more and more about where their food comes from. Food is so integral to our existence. Mm -hmm. And for it to come from California, trucked in 3,000 miles away to the grocery store, and you just go get it, it, it removes us as humans from the land to some degree. And I feel that we're missing, missing out on some really great connections and great appreciation, uh, especially when it comes to animals too, if you actually raise and butcher your own animals. Like the appreciation you have for meat that you eat, just it, it's not, not anything like you've experienced before. So any way to get more people in agriculture to understand it, to get them out to farms, you know, I think is, is great. And, and this, people that, that love local craft beer seem to love supporting local farms, you know, especially ones that supply those ingredients. So you get more people that just enjoy craft beer now interested in what it means to, 
to farm hops maybe or or grow the barley and the malting process behind it yeah and it's just kind of another mechanism to get into that culture mm -hmm. did you when you were growing up did you always feel like you were connected to nature like you had this connection and it's, you said that your family was kind of always in farming um do you feel like you've always been connected to nature or it's been something that you've developed more and more over time i mean i would i would say in general yes um, we my family spent we spent a lot of time doing the family camping trips, you know, going to the forest and hiking and biking. And, um, I was in Boy Scouts. So you get, you get the whole appreciation for, for the way things, my, 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 my particular troop was very insistent that we do everything as difficult, most difficult way as possible. Uh, we were only allowed to use a 50 year old canvas tents, you know, none of this pop-up nylon stuff. So it really, that, that experience did definitely enhance, um, the appreciation of the outdoors and nature. Yeah. And yeah, and probably just keeps, you know, keeps that at your forefront, you know, thoughts as you're doing things. It seems like you guys got a bunch of chickens back there, right? Still. So yes. Yes. Still doing that and some yeah. homesteading, I imagine as well. So it's, it's definitely, definitely, it definitely dwindled a little bit since we started the farm the farm is all consuming. Um, the flip side of what I was saying about uh, people that are just now getting into farming, getting into hops farming is that, you quickly realize this is this is hard work. Mm -hmm. This is hot, sweaty, dirty. It's not just drinking work, beer, right? <laughs> it's not just wandering through your nice, pretty rows and drinking drinking a craft beer. Yeah, it it is absolutely farming, and that goes along with the appreciation aspect of what goes into the farming too. But but yeah, we we are eventually going to ramp back up. We're going to get back into turkeys. Um, we did we did do meat birds again this year as well. So. We're just slowly, once we get our handle on the, on the hops better, then mm -hmm. you know, we'll get, get that going again. Yeah. Um, I guess one more question. What's your favorite watering hole around here where you go to drink? You know, what are you drinking these days? Are you drinking IPAs? What are you, are you, you know, checking everything out? What's, what's kind of, what do you do these days? I'm drinking beer. There's so many good places to go now. It's, it's just fantastic. Um, you know, I, I really, I really like all the, all the small, all the local craft breweries. I, each one has its, its own pluses and minuses and, and charms or whatever. You know, if I, if I want to just, I don't want to drive very far, but I just want to see some people that I know and, and, and have a beer, I'll go to Molly Pitcher. Mm -hmm. You know, if I want to get a great beer and maybe some pub food, we'll go to Market Cross in Carlisle. But if I want to go try a huge spread of scratch beers from Trogues, then we'll make a trip over to Hershey. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and there's just so many places to go now uh, in Hanover and York and just exploding in the, in the Harrisburg area as well. Downtown Harrisburg and, and Tattered Flag is now in, in uh, Middletown. So each place has its own. It's hard to pick a favorite. Um, I would never ask you to have to do that. Yeah. But... Uh, <laughs> As the styles, you know, it just depends on the season. It totally does. Um, if you try to give me a Russian Imperial style right now, I might sip an ounce and then. <laughs> Thank you. <Yeah. laughs> Thank you for that. Yeah, but you know, right now, um, like a, I, I sort of didn't know what to make of the session IPA style, mm -hmm. but now I sort of like it this time of year. Yeah. Um, something that's not too high and ABV, not too heavy, um, but still has a nice hop aroma to it um i really dig that so a lot of ipas i mean i am a hop head there's no way around it um but when when it does get cold i, I really enjoy like i really enjoy coffee stouts and and russian imperial stouts yeah that's cool. maybe some bourbon aged bourbon aged stuff. yeah yeah 
That's cool. Well, thank you for being the first guest on um, the Artisan Situation podcast. My pleasure. Yeah. It's nice to be back in a place that I hold dear. Oh, oh, well, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for tuning in. Our team at Artisan Situation looks forward to sharing more moments like this. If you haven't seen it yet, we have a new profile piece on the website about Agrarian Ales, a farm brewery in Eugene, Oregon. We also have a new series we just started called Liquid Lyrics. It's our attempt to pair a craft beverage with one of our favorite musical tunes. I suggest you check it out. Lastly, I want to thank all of our authors and our lead editor, Rebecca Shenton. Thank you for all of your contributions so far. The music was produced by Ben Wang, operator of Three Springs Fruit Farm and member of Chuck Darwin and the Knuckle Draggers. We care about our food and we nurture our environment. Thanks for joining us on our journey. Till next time, this is Zach Kaiser, signing off.